So for one year in that blue uniform, my job was not glamorous. I was an office lady of Honda Motor Company. And so my job, are you ready for it? My job, my tasks every day included serving tea, cleaning ashtrays, and sharpening pencils. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. We have an amazing guest on our show today. It is Laura Kriska, who is the author of a brand new book called The Business of We, and we talk all about our cross-cultural experiences living and working in Japan. But before we get to Laura, I want to talk a little bit about re-entering the real world post-COVID. Now, I want you to imagine for me that you are now on that plane, you're going into that convention center because you are attending that first conference for your industry in the last two years. It's the first time post-COVID that you're going out. Well, guess what? It just happened to me because I had the honor of attending the National Speakers Association Influence Conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I hopped on that plane and I landed in Las Vegas on the strip and went to Caesars Palace and was surrounded by hundreds of people that do amazing work like I do. Now, I know you're thinking this is one of those things. Wait, there's a conference for people who speak at conferences? Exactly. But what I realized was while I talk all of the time about leading with your brand and showing up and being comfortable networking, I was rusty. I realized that the last in-person big event I had been at was the National Speakers Association Winter Conference in March of 2020. Well, I will tell you, even though I was rusty, I went back to those tried and true things of building building rapport with people you don't know. And you know, I'm a big extrovert, but even for me, I was like, wow, I don't really know how to interact with people because I'm rusty at it and I've only been on Zoom. But let me give you a couple of hints that I loved or some some quick tips. I love when you go to a conference or a networking reception that people have name tags. And people had name tags here that had their cities. I sat down with people and I was like, wow, I see you're from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minnesota. I love Minnesota. My husband is from the Twin Cities. Think about that. What a great way to make that conversation all about them, but asking questions where we could come together and really have a 
connection, all about looking at those. Even look at the name of the company that people work for. When people talk and show you what company they work for, what a great way to talk about those products. What a way to draw them into conversation. Now, I even had some of those moments that you have had. They had lunch on the schedule and it was down in one of those ballrooms. And I was like, huh, maybe I'll just sneak back up to my uh, my hotel room and I'll just grab something out of the minibar. But then I had to hit the pause button and I said, why did you come here, Jason? Why are you at an event that's in person? And I had to remember strategically I am here to meet people. So you know what? I grabbed my stuff. I went down those uh, escalators and I entered a ballroom where I didn't know the people that I sat down with for lunch. And I put all of those pieces in. You know what? I had to say, hey, I'm Jason and I'm from Los Angeles, California. And I am on a mission to help people find their true brand voice and bring their best authentic selves to work every day. That's right. I had to implore that elevator pitch to engage people. And people would automatically say, wow, that's so interesting. Tell me more. And then I would talk to them about my Lead With Your Brand podcast. And I would talk to them about my signature talk. Are you coffee or are you Starbucks? So remember this, as you re-enter the world, it's all about rebuilding these social in-person connections. Now, I know even for those of you that are introverts, you're saying, Jason, that's easy because you can do it. But let me share some quick tips for introverts that I have found tried and true. If you are working at an event or going to event, I want you to volunteer if you're an introvert to do something. Volunteer to help with check-in. I think back to some great people I knew at employee resource groups back at NBC Universal, and I would ask them, wow, you're always volunteering to check people in. And you know what they said to me? They said, yeah, Jason, because I'm scared to talk to people. And when I check people in, they have to talk to me. They introduce themselves to me. And then they said, guess what? Afterwards, everybody knows me. I don't have to go up to anyone because they actually approach me and thank me for being part of the event. So if you're an introvert, there's a quick hit tip. Let me tell you, I was in Shanghai, China, uh, speaking at the Ladies Who Tech Conference, which is an amazing conference. And I noticed a group of women coming up to me when I was talking to other people and they would say, Jason, can we take your picture with this group? We want to use it for the newsletter and for the website. And I thought, oh, of course I'm going to take a picture. And then I would start talking to them. And later on at the cocktail hour, I asked, hey, I noticed you were taking so many pictures. And one of them admitted to me, I'm super shy and scared. But volunteering to take pictures gives me a reason to approach people. And no one will say no to taking a picture for the website or social media or for the newsletter. And it allows me to meet people with a purpose. So as you re-enter in real life events, whether it's for networking, or conferences, make sure that you have your strategy in place so that you can show up and lead with your brand in person, even though we're all a little bit rusty. Well, I am super excited about the guest on our show today. It is author of the new book, The Business of We, Laura Kriska. Laura Kriska is a leading cross-cultural consultant with more than 30 years of experience bridging gaps in diverse workplaces. She's worked with Fortune 500 companies on four continents, helping thousands of professionals build trust across us, 
versus them differences based on nationality, ethnicity, race, religion, age, or any factor of identity. Her WeBuilding framework provides practical and actionable insights for creating a more inclusive and productive world. Now, Laura was born in Tokyo, raised in Ohio, and now lives in New York City. And she regularly speaks on the topic of inclusion and conducts bilingual training sessions around the globe. She's an authority on cultural integration, and she's a regular lecturer on the TEDx speaker circuit. She was the first American woman to work in Honda Motor Company's Tokyo headquarters. This experience is the basis of her first book, The Accidental Office Lady. I'll be back in just a few moments with author Laura Kriska. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we're back. I am super excited for today's guest. It is Laura Kriska, who is a cross-cultural consultant and the author of the new book, The Business of We. Laura, what is going on? Hello, Jason San. How are you? <laughs> I am great. Genki desu. Oh, Jose Desne, Watashimo Genki And if all of you listeners can tell, Laura and I are huge fans of Japan, having lived and worked there. So, Laura, mm-hmm. let's let's dive right in. You know, you're a cross-cultural consultant. And tell me, when you first meet someone. How do you explain who you are and what it is that you do? Mm. Well, I say that I help people build lasting trust across us versus them gaps in the workplace and beyond. And I do it through a process I call we building. And we building is team building plus inclusion work. Wow, I love that. Team building plus inclusion work. And and so you have the new book, The Business of We Out. Tell me a little bit about that and what inspired you to write it. Mm-hmm. I have been very interested in different cultures my whole life. I was born in Japan. I worked in Japan. My first book, The Accidental Office Lady, was about working as the first American woman in the Honda Motor Company Tokyo headquarters. And I've spent a career helping people bridge these gaps. But what I noticed, Jason, is that culture gaps are not only related to being from different countries. Those are kind of the obvious ones. And I'd love to hear some examples that you might have from your own travels. But as I grew in my career, as I got older and had more life experiences, I really started to see how us versus them dynamics well, sometimes can be inconsequential, like sports or something, really are can be very damaging in, to people, to humans. And if we look at the division we have now in our country, if we see the, the hate and the fear it, it, and the level of hate crimes that have increased, increased, yeah. it motivates me in my work to inspire people to take action not just think about it, but take action yeah. to bridge gaps. This this is my life's work. 
Wow. I mean, it's so inspiring. And I know that in the book, you talk a little bit about as leaders, how can you be a we builder? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So uh, in my case, I am uh, a middle-aged, straight, white lady. And I talk about in my book, this idea of there being a home team yeah, in any organization, in any country. So in Japan, the home team would be, I would characterize the home team as middle-aged, straight Japanese men. And yeah. I, I share almost none of the, I share one of those four characteristics. So I wasn't very, I didn't have close proximity to the home team. But here in America, I think it's very fair to say that the home team is straight, middle-aged white men. So I share three or yeah, three of those characteristics. And so <laughs> I have much more proximity. Um, and so being a we builder is recognizing when you identify with the home team, meaning just the sharing of characteristics. And so I definitely am part of the home team. I grew up in the home team in America. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I grew up in very white spaces. When I grew up, being straight was pretty much the only choice. You know, I have yeah. many contemporaries my age who were in the closet, you know, who weren't out being trans was like crazyville. That, that yeah. wasn't even like something people could comprehend at the time. And thank goodness this has changed. And so when you're on the home team in any situation, I feel you have a special obligation to pay attention more to voices from people who do not belong to the home team and take action to narrow the gaps, to make people feel more inclusive. So let me give you a practical example of that. Yeah. We builders are leaders. It could be any type of leader, but leaders who notice this, who pay attention to who's on the home team, who's not, um, how people might feel excluded. And so names, people's names, um, a name like Laura probably appears on the, you know, top 100 or 200 uh, most common names in America. Yeah. But if you have a name that doesn't appear on those lists, um, <laughs> maybe people look at your name and don't know how to say it, you know, and a we building leader takes the time and it's not a lot to ask people, you know, how do you say your name? Or can I, do you mind if I ask you, I want to make sure to say your name correctly. And then they use that person's name publicly, frequently to normalize, to make sure that everybody feels included. So it's not only people named Jim and Sally, you know, who who are welcomed by name when they see each other in the office. Um, and I would say use of pronouns is another great example. And I want to yeah. give you, you, Jason Patria, a little shout out because <laughs> when I logged in to this podcast, it's the first time that it asks for both my name and my pronouns. Oh, yeah. Well, don't thank me. I mean, this is it's actually the update that came in June with uh, Squadcast, our platform. So change is it. happening to yeah. uh, include via process, right? And Laura, it's so interesting because I think uh, as a leader, it's almost thinking, so when do I have the home team advantage, right? We talk about that in sports, but how do yeah. I leverage that to include, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whenever you belong to a home team, there are some advantages. You you are just by default, people defer to you or the the norms in society look like you. In in companies, people in the home team have access to power and money. 
And so there are great advantages associated with that. Um, and that's why people on the home team have more responsibility to pay attention to these things. And especially when it comes to race in America, there are a lot of people exactly like me, middle-aged white people who grew up with a colorblind narrative, who don't want trouble, they want to be inclusive, but they have never experienced any sort of penalty for failure to be inclusive. And so they're not inclusive. They just think, I'm just going to go mind my own business and live in my comfortable white circles. And that's another problem. That doesn't influence me. But if you live that way, if you are a middle-aged white straight person and you only interact with people who are exactly like you and you don't do anything to educate yourself and to try to broaden the idea of who belongs, then you are complicit in a system that marginalizes so many people and ends up with uh, legislation that is dangerous, people's behavior that is dangerous. People are hurt and killed because of our complicity. And it just makes me furious. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is that you just have this interesting career and life story. So so take us back. You were born in Tokyo, you grew up in Ohio, and then then you started working in Japan. Tell me about your 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 career journey and what were some of the big breakthrough moments for you that e even influenced the work you're doing today? I would say in college, I was very determined to work uh, study in Japan. Uh, so I picked a school. I went to Denison University in Ohio, in Granville, Ohio, and, because they had an exchange program. And I went my junior year abroad, and I loved it. I just loved it. Everything was so different. I was eager to learn Japanese. You know, I had been born there, but I didn't really speak Japanese. So yeah. it was such an exciting experience. And I wonder if you had this, Jason. I think sometimes when you go to another country, um, you do these simple things like you figure out how to mail a letter or, or you, and, and, and you're like, yes, I did it. And there's this joy because you figured out this thing that's kind of a normal thing. Do you, do yeah. you remember? Or figuring out how, uh, like the train station and what the right exit to get off of to like not take an yeah. hour to get home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just some satisfactions that come <laughs> with that figuring stuff out. And that whole year was full of those. And I also, I practiced judo. Ooh. That year, your listeners can't see me, but if you look at me, you would not think, oh, judo, for sure. No, you would think like ballet, maybe. I don't know. But I just was doing, um, really exploring and trying on new identities. But it was just such a great year. I lived with a lovely Japanese host family, and I wanted to go back to Japan um, after college. So I went back to Ohio for one year. and. Because Ohio is home to Honda Motor Company, I was introduced to people. I did an internship while I was still in college, and they offered me a job. And wow. I was thrilled, thrilled wow. because I said, I want to work in Japan. And they said, okay, 22, no job experience to real, you know, I'd been like a lifeguard prior to that. <laughs> and I was sent to Japan, 22 years old, Tokyo headquarters. And in my imagination, you know, I, I knew I was going to be an assistant to a senior director who was partially in charge of North America. That's why he wanted a bilingual assistant. 
And so in my imagination, you know, this was going to be so important and glamorous. I would travel the world with him. I would do research on global issues. I would, you know, do all this stuff. This is, uh, you know, a 22-year-old point of view. And when I got there the first day before lunch, and let me set the scene, I am wearing a Liz Claiborne tunic suit. It's light wool. It's beautiful. I bought it at Nordstrom's. It's like one of my biggest purchases as a grown-up. <laughs> it's got a beige belt. I'm carrying a beige briefcase, empty briefcase, because what I have, nothing, you know, I'm not, I have nothing to actually offer. Exactly. I better fill it up when I get there. <laughs> so here I am in Tokyo, beautiful suit, and before lunch, they take me into a little dressing room and they give me two women's uniforms, two identical blue polyester. Did you hear that? Polyester <laughs> vest and skirt. And they hand these uniforms to me and say, you know, this is, here's your uniform. And I look at this uniform and I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, no, <laughs> <laughs> but with my mouth, I say, Domo arigato gozaimashita. Because I was the guest. I was the visitor. It, so mm. it's incumbent upon the visitor mm -hmm. to adjust in that situation. And even if you don't like it, you know, I, I could have gotten back on a plane and left. But, you know, there are adjustments. We all have to make adjustments. And I think that's part of this idea of the home team. If you're on the home team, sometimes you're not used to adjusting to others. And adjusting to others in appropriate proportional ways is so critical as our spaces grow more and more diverse and our global marketplace is more and more integrated than ever before. Yeah. And so, Laura, I love this whole notion of I could have just gotten back on a plane and flew, you know, all the way back to Ohio, but you didn't. Mm -hmm. How did you use that moment and that early career experience to to propel you to the next level? What, what was kind of the next breakthrough that you were able to gain from that? So for one year in that blue uniform, my job was not glamorous. My job... <laughs> was working with uh, 10 Japanese office ladies. So I was an office lady and the 10 office ladies supported the 40 directors of Honda Motor Company. You know, most Japanese companies are set up this way. Yeah. And so my job, are you ready for it? My yeah. job, my tasks every day included serving tea, cleaning ashtrays, and sharpening pencils. <laughs> and a lot of ashtrays. <laughs> oh, so many ashtrays. And again, it was kind of like, what? I came over here for what? But it was all in Japanese. So it was challenging for me. But I didn't really love that job. There was a lot of interpersonal things with um, one of the office ladies. This is actually probably my biggest career mistake I ever made was that I walked into that experience expecting to adjust. So putting on the uniform, speaking Japanese, but I failed to adjust to invisible data, invisible information. And one really important piece of invisible information is the hierarchy that goes on in most Japanese co corporations. And this hierarchy I'm talking about was very familiar to me because I had practiced judo. In a dojo, there is a very clear hierarchy, and I can explain it in two seconds. Ready? Black belts, white belts. <laughs> That's all there is to it. And so that concept actually applies to the corporate world, but 
there were no black belts. We all were wearing the exact same uniform. So there was no visible indicator to me. Wow. So then I failed to pay attention. Mm. And because of that, I failed to see that there was a black belt office lady in the group who was very senior. People deferred to her. But I didn't. I just treated her as an equal because I'm American and I thought we're, I'm supposed to just treat everybody. And it was polite. It was respectful, but it didn't have any deference. And so that year was very difficult for me because of my failure to notice that and, and, and the result of our poor relationship and her impact on my day-to-day life. And, and this is one of the lessons of we building that I try to teach as much as possible, is that in today's diverse spaces, we have to pay attention to both visible and invisible information about another person. And so asking someone their pronouns is a perfect example. You cannot look at a person and know what pronouns they prefer. You can make assumptions. Maybe you'll be right. But just ask. And then you can avoid irritating someone you can be much more likely to develop a respectful relationship. So that's just a a simple example of how important it is to always know that the cultural differences are constantly around us all the time. Some of them we can see like a blue polyester uniform (laughs) and some of them like what gender somebody identifies as or the pronouns they prefer can't tell by looking at that person. And and so to make assumptions is incorrect. And so you have to do the work. We builders know this and they pay attention and they put time and effort into doing the work to understand invisible data. And the way to do that is face-to-face interactions of increasing depth. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about how you decided to become an author, right? You, you started with, uh, with, with your first book, The Accidental Office Lady. How do, how do you move into that space? I was not planning to be an author. It really never occurred to me. And during the year that I was living in Tokyo, and this is going to give you a sense of how long ago it was, <laughs> there were fax machines. <laughs> <laughs> and making international phone calls was very expensive. And so to process a lot of the difficulties that I was having and also just the just processing the whole experience, also the positive things, guess what I did? You're, this is going to blow your mind. Yeah. I used a typewriter. <laughs> in the, and <laughs> I typed, I know. Hey, uh, what we call Zoomers, you know, the younger generation, (laughs) a typewriter. No. So I typed letters to my parents. And when I came back, my mother had saved all the letters in a notebook and she handed them to me. And it looked like a book, like, oh, like two years, two and a half years of documenting these experiences. And that's kind of one thought I had was, oh, that, that looks like something like a book. It was a little bit of a jump start, But the other thing was that this was at the very end of the 80s, early 90s when Japan was hot. Yeah. And people wanted to know more about Japan. But I found that the books that were available fell into these two very distinct categories. Japan is awesome. Let's be exactly like them. 
or I hate Japan. Like these two <laughs> very, uh, you know, binary. Yes, exactly. Categories. And my experience was very mixed. There are things that I loved about working and still love. I love Japan. It's a very important place to me. I have very close friends there. But there are things that make me crazy about Japan, just like there are things that make me crazy about being here in America. So I tried, I wanted to tell a story that I felt was more authentic and didn't have to appeal to this binary notion of, oh, it's so great or, oh, it's so terrible. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So talk to me about your professional brand. How would you describe the brand Laura Kriska? Give me three words that people would use to describe you. International, warm, uh, fun. And how, how do those three things of international, warm, and fun, how do they show up in your work as an author? Probably in the stories I tell. I In the book... The new book, there's probably not as much humor, but definitely I've learned more about social media in the past six months. So publishing a book during a pandemic, not great. Not a great (laughs) timing. No Uh, no live tours, no showing up. Yeah. And so I had to get very active on social media, which I never had been before. Like I was completely closed off to that in part because the social media revolution occurred while I became a mother and was parenting three kids. Now, those three kids are older now, and now they're helping me with my social media. But I just, I wasn't somebody who was an early adapter to any of the platforms. It's been a much bigger part of my life for the past six months. And so my learning curve has really taken off. And I find that sometimes I can use that warmth and humor in social media and let it show up. I love that. So you know what, Laura, people come to me all of the time who are like, I've, I have not been on social media. You know, I've gone, I, I was, I was fine. I could have my career without social media. And now they're realizing like you, uh, like I kind of have to be out there. So what are some hacks or some tips that you would give to people who are, you know, maybe established in their career, like we are, who are just kind of getting into social media? How, how do you remain authentic, but make it purposeful? Mm-hmm. I show up differently on different platforms. Ooh, so say more. So on LinkedIn, which Mm. is really my audience, you know, LinkedIn is the kind of corporate client that I work with now and that I'm looking to expand. So I show up a little more straight, just, I don't mean straight, straight. I mean, (laughs) just not as fun. Yeah. A little, a little bit of fun, but on Instagram, uh, You'll see pictures of my puppy and there's, I I feel more um, comfortable showing a a more personal side. Um, However, I had to make a choice like everybody about where your line is for your sharing your personal information. So over my life, I've always been super careful about my kids' identities. I don't use their names publicly. And so they don't really show up in my social media. And that's just my line. I know for other people, their kids are always in their material and their names. And and that was just like, I was really worried when I started social media that I had to do that. And, And a professional told me, you need to be authentic, but that doesn't mean you have to share all your private information. So that was a tip that I got early on that helped me. Yeah. Wow. And how, 
how interesting and great for to have that permission, right? Because I think mm-hmm. that's actually what's holding some people back, right? Yeah. Is is they have their line, but they feel like they have to cross it, so they're not going to be on oh, at all. That, that was absolutely an excuse I used always until I had a book. <laughs> I had to get out <laughs> on social media. Right. And I mean, that's the thing. Even if you don't have a book, if you're just looking for that next career breakthrough, right, or if you're looking to be visible in your industry, you know, we have to be on these platforms. But how do you define your own line Mm -hmm. so that you can still show up authentically within your own parameters, right? Yes. Let me loop back to your three words, Laura. So when you think about being international, warm, and fun, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I find super interesting and authentic about you saying that is oftentimes when people say they're international or global, it almost feels like there's a snobbery, Mm -hmm. right? Or a a Mm -hmm. elite uh, elite uh, element that goes with that. But I love how you say it's like, I'm international, warm, and fun. So how do you see mm. those three things working together that are uniquely you and maybe different than other people that you've worked with globally? Well, I think maybe the way I think about international is not just, you know, first class flying on a plane, but my daily life here in New York. I've made a deliberate effort to expand my circle of who belongs in my world, who I associate with, um, what my social life looks like, etc. And so international just reflects the diversity of the increasing uh, demographics here in the United States. I, I am deeply curious just as a person, ooh, if that that would be my fourth word, if I could have a fourth word, it's you can curious. have a fourth word. Curious, I, I really am. I really love learning about other cultures, and I'm not. I, I I welcome opportunities, you know, to try new food, to meet people from a place I've never visited, and things like that. I I find that invigorating, and I know not yeah. everybody does, and so. What I've noticed is that the international nature of a an experience that I had you know, 30 years ago, that was pretty radical, right? At 22, I got on a plane and flew thousands of miles and set up a home and a job in a foreign country. But that type of diverse experience does not require a plane ride anymore. Yeah. You live that Mm -hmm. every single day, right? You Mm -hmm. live that, that, cultural dexterity and that ability to translate and uh, that ability to bring people in. You added curious as a fourth Mm. word. Tell me about that. How do you show up as curious and what does curious look like on Laura? I would say you would find me reading a lot of books that represent different experiences. I love memoirs written by someone who has experienced a very different culture than I know. I feel like that curiosity is very beneficial to help me approach people with a more open mind. I'm going to admit something to you. I am super judgy. I am like (laughs) one of the most judgmental people you will meet. My kids will tell you that. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. Like, oh my God. But I try to keep that, you know, I try to, those are just impulses I have. But I really do want to be inclusive and I want to recognize my blind spots. 
right? Yeah. We all have our blind spots and there's not a person out there that doesn't. And yeah. especially folks, again, who belong or who identify with the home team, we really need to look at those places. And so for me, curiosity definitely shows up in, in what I read. Yeah. And Laura, talk to me about being judgy. So, so <laughs> no, how have no. you, how have you prevented that from becoming part of your brand, right? What was the moment that you realized, wow, being judgy doesn't help me get where I want to be? Okay. Well, I grew up in Ohio and I am female and there, you know, there's a lot of cultural norms around the places I grew up where it wasn't acceptable to be openly judgy. So I've always kept it very tight. (laughs) (laughs) My judgments are very, never articulated. I I journal all the time. Can you believe that? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I didn't grow up with a feeling that I could say these things. I think I just, I have a, I'm a critical thinker. I observe things a lot. I associate, you know, well. And so that, way of thinking about people, you know, I, it was always going on, but it never was something I felt comfortable sharing. So if anything, I've had to learn how to say some of that judgment rather than keep it in. You mean, how can you actually provide constructive feedback when it's warranted? Exactly. exactly. And anybody who's married... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> can tell you that's an important skill set. And I didn't have that skill set when I got married over 20 years uh, ago. <laughs> right? Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm getting feedback that I still need to work on that. So, Laura, just a couple of fun final questions. We've been talking about brand, your brand. What is your favorite brand as a consumer? What do you love? What can't you live without? One brand that I like is Trader Joe's. I love Trader Joe's. Tell me why you love Trader Joe's. They have very high quality food products that are not crazy expensive. And I really like the food. So, Laura, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Well, Jason, I think the answer is pretty obvious. I would be a Honda. (laughs) just a little bit of brand loyalty right i made cars i made honda cars as part of my training i was on the assembly line morning shift steel-toed shoes plastic eye protectors making cars a week after graduating from college and so i respect the manufacturing process i really do think honda is very good manufacturer and i have only owned Honda cars, even though Are I no wow! longer get a discount. I used even, to have a yeah, discount. Even without the discount. But yeah. what is it about a Honda, right? What is it about a Honda that you associate with yourself? What does Honda stand for that maybe you stand for? Yeah, it, I think it's being very reliable, not overly flashy, you know, the, the really prioritizing what's most important. And I think of myself that way in terms of, oh, you know, what I, how I spend my time, you know, yes, I'd like to look good, but I need to exercise. So do I want to spend time putting on makeup and doing my hair or do I want to spend that hour 
having a bike ride. And almost always I'm going to choose the bike ride <laughs> ah. because it makes me healthy and makes me feel good. And maybe 10 minutes on the makeup and hair or something like that. But I, I like to think, I mean, I know because I worked inside the company, Honda prioritizes things that are important. And here's the final question for you, Laura. What's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? I would say that the best career advice that I would like to pass on to others is that cultural norms are everywhere all the time and that we can see them and there are parts that we cannot see. And that finding ways to see invisible cultural norms is critical to your success in our diverse workplaces. Wow. I love that. Well, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for helping us be we builders. And I'll be back with my final thoughts in just a moment. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. And we're back. What an amazing conversation with author Laura Kriska. You know, Laura had so many great tips around how we can lead for inclusion and how we can really be we builders in our own life and our own career. And what really stood out for me was this whole notion of being able to be adaptable. Even though you own your brand and you want to lead with your brand, you need to know that your brand shows up in service of the people that you're serving, your super fans, your career audience, and that changes by context. So in the same way that Laura realized not all of the office ladies in her office were the same, you need to think about your career audience and know that they're not the same. What are those minor tweaks that are based on what context you're in, what situation you're in, and even the individual that you're operating with? How can you still be authentic to yourself and be adaptable to meet the needs of your career audience. Well, that's the show for today. If you loved listening, go ahead and give us some feedback by rating us and leaving us a comment. And make sure you're following the podcast so that you get your brand new show every single Tuesday. Follow me on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. And I love to share tips and tricks all over LinkedIn. And remember, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.